Hello. This is a Bizarre and Fascinating Details podcast, and I'm your host, Sarah. I've got Darcy with me. How you doing, Darcy? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. Uh, first day of college football's back, so got that on mute in the background and spent 150 bucks on some new Auburn apparel this morning, so <laughs> I'm, I'm right in the zone. I'm ready. Yep. So we are probably going to be posting this episode after, because we were kind of recording this one as a backup episode mm-hmm. so if you folks hear this and it's a little beyond the season <laughs> you know yeah. that's why hey it's forever not an a super fan, current one so. right <laughs> um, but it's applicable always right exactly i'm always spending money on auburn apparel just like i'm always spending money on all kinds of apparel for things i don't really need like shoes mm-hmm. and dresses <laughs> dude <laughs> I, spent, I don't I, need 25 so dresses much money I spent so much money on makeup the other day. I'm like, I don't go anywhere. Why am I buying all this makeup? Like, I haven't left my house in months. Like, what am I doing? But it's fun to play with makeup. I'm an Amazon addict. There's something thrilling about getting that package delivery weekly or bi-weekly that makes me happy. And I'm having a hard time stopping that. (laughs) I know. I know. I need to. But yeah, I'm the same way. I'm like, ooh, Prime. I can get this in two days. Done. (laughs) <laughs> sold because I don't go yeah. to normal shopping places anymore Mm-mm. for a variety of reasons I mean I didn't like shopping before COVID but Same. now I'm like I, I don't want to put myself out there where I could potentially be exposed to people's germs mm-hmm. just to buy a dress right. of course I'm gonna buy it online yeah yep yep, yep so sure. that's my dilemma over shopping over spending it's buying things I don't need on Amazon <laughs> <laughs> but speaking of COVID um well, it's not COVID, actually. This article I found was very interesting. It was more related to Hurricane Laura that just came through. Mm-hmm. That craziness that came back, uh, came through a few weeks ago where we had this, those vicious, vicious storms. And it's like, yeah. in my mind, I think we were talking about this a few weeks back and we were like, God, we've got COVID. We've got the riots. We've got, you know, a movement where police are shooting people at random. Now yeah. we've got hurricanes coming through. Like, what now else is going to happen in this freaking apocalyptic world so um this article (laughs) just thought was very fascinating and interesting it came out on usa today last week and it was talking about vicious little suckers massive clouds of mosquitoes kill cows horses etc in louisiana after hurricane laura oh jesus yeah so swarms of mosquitoes have killed cows deer horses and other livestock in louisiana after rain from hurricane laura led to an explosion in the pest population Louisiana Thousands and mosquitoes, of mosquitoes are two words I don't ever want to hear together. I've never experienced it myself. I've been through there in the summer, but I never had an issue with it. But evidently, mm-hmm. right now, mm-hmm. you walk outside and you get attacked. Thousands of mosquitoes have attacked animals at large, like bulls, draining their blood and driving the massive creatures to pace in summer heat until they are Ugh. exhausted. According to the Louisiana State University veterinarian... While recent aerial spraying efforts have helped control the outbreak of mosquitoes under control, residents and animals in a portion of the state faced clouds of blood-sucking insects in the days after Hurricane Laura touched down August 27th. Farmers near the storm made land, or excuse me, farmers near where the storm made landfall have probably lost three to four hundred cattle. Jeez. Says local veterinarian. These are vicious little suckers. On Thursday of last week, residents along coastal marshy areas were, who were accustomed to mosquitoes said they expected the population to climb following heavy rains, but the scale of this outbreak was much larger than they had expected. They say they have never experienced anything like this. Mm. 
This particular species of mosquito does not transmit human diseases easily, but people in the area are bonkers about this because they're just massively overtaking everything outside. And they're telling people in the area to take precautions, long shirts and pants to cover skin, sprinting to the barn. They're sprinting back and forth to the barn to avoid the clouds of mosquitoes if they go outside or they're using like repellents. But the animals, they can't do that because, you know, they're standing outside basically defenseless against these swarms and they can't Mm -hmm. get away from them. They pace and pace and pace and try to like move so they can disrupt mm-hmm. the little insects but they're going to be facing ongoing health problems like weight loss and susceptibility to disease the insects remain a big problem in i don't know how to say the areas but jefferson davis parish is one of them hmm. though spraying has reduced the severity a bit um it, these are still going crazy livestock deaths from mosquitoes aren't a new phenomena they also occurred after Hurricane Lily in 2002 and Hurricane Rita in 2005. Florida and Texas have similar problems after hurricanes. So, hmm. meanwhile, <laughs> with all the other craziness, there are swarms of mosquitoes carrying off large cattle and livestock. And imagine being in southern Louisiana, where it's August and September in this humidity and being told to wear long pants and shorts and then to I run to the barn. I just can't. I just can't. <laughs> And just, I feel so bad for the animals that are stuck out there who are just being like driven basically crazy and are forced to like pace until they're so physically exhausted that they just fall over and die. Mm. Like to me, it's just, it's insane. Like it's just another facet of apocalyptic 2020. Right. So anyway, I just thought I had to share that because I thought it was interesting. I just imagined swarms of mosquitoes like carrying off livestock. (laughs) <laughs> they're not doing that. They're just landing on. No, I don't think it's them, that but... bad. But yeah, they're. <laughs> just but yeah, uh, in my I mean, mind, we have I saw zombie cicadas. We have, oh god, no thanks. Murder to hornets. Murder hornets. <laughs> no thanks. To Although all I of think it. the murder hornets decided to come back later when they get a better, <laughs> more attention because everything right? else is distracting from them. But um, I found another episode on forensic files of a particular case that there's actually a ton of articles on this one as well out on the internet and there's actually a wikipedia page on this as well as the main theory and concept of what happened in this case because it was a groundbreaking case but um, the case came out on forensic files august 16th and here it is um janice trahan was a young nurse and a single mother of two children in 1994 working in lafayette louisiana you may have heard this case i'm not sure but prior to 1994 And starting a few months prior to that, Janice started feeling ill and went to the doctor for pain in her eyes. She was having kind of this ocular pain off and on, which freaking scared me because as soon as I read this and and saw the stuff on it, I was like, I have ocular pain. Oh, (laughs) no. I can't do eye stuff. Like with pictures of things like that, I can't do eye stuff. Yeah, no, but Mm -mm. she just had like generalized pain behind her eyes and ocular Mm -hmm. pain when she was moving her eye side Mm -hmm. to side. And the doctor told her it was most likely sinus issues and don't worry, it'll go away. Mm -hmm. So next her lymph nodes start to swell and become painful. Uh And they think that maybe she has a virus. And so they do a number of standard tests and the results that they come back with are both exciting and horrifying because Janice Trahan was pregnant and she was also diagnosed simultaneously with HIV Whoa. Yeah. 
wasn't expecting that. I was not. <laughs> when I read it. Um, but how had she become infected? And they start to look back because whenever somebody is diagnosed with HIV, they have to figure out where it came from and mm -hmm. they have to notify people. The Department of Human Health and Services gets involved and there is a whole process around mm -hmm. that. And... She tells them that she had been working in a hospital as a nurse and she had been exposed to AIDS patients there. So that's one potential spot that she could have caught mm -hmm. it or she could have retained it from previous sexual partners. Mm -hmm. Her primary care physician was a man by the name of Dr. Richard Smith, and he claimed that Janice had been promiscuous and sleeping around. And that was where he suspected she had obtained Her the virus. doctor said that? Her, Her physician said, said that? that. Oh, God. Yes. You can suck it, doctor. I'm going to get into that. <laughs> this is 1994, right? right? So remember, you got a whole different mentality. This is a, I believe he was in his 40s, maybe early 50s. Mm -hmm. So you got a whole different mentality of physicians. Yeah. And it's in the South, Louisiana. Yep. So I think you kind of got a different sort of a play out there. But um, in order to save the baby, because she was afraid that, she had, would be infecting it with HIV. She aborted mm -hmm. it. And she came to the very scary realization that she was possibly going to die. Because mm -hmm. I don't know if you remember during that time period, that was basically a death sentence if you had the yep. AIDS virus. Yep. And I know since then, we've come a long way. We've developed a lot of medications. And, you know, you got Magic Johnson, who has really shown that you can live a productive and healthy life mm -hmm. even after you are diagnosed with that. But this was 1994 prior to any of that mm -hmm. happening. And people were just terrified of this particular virus during that time period. But they test all of her sexual partners that she's had in the past and they all came back negative. Hmm. So wh where did she get this virus? She didn't have an accidental Janice blood comes... stick at the hospital. She claims no. Okay. So, where did she get this virus? And she comes forward with a story that is not believable to anyone around her. But this is her theory that five months prior to her diagnosis, she had gone, or excuse me, five months after she was diagnosed, she went to the district attorney and claimed that Richard Schmidt, her doctor, was the person responsible for her recent HIV diagnosis. Oh. Now, had he slept with her? Like how had she gotten it from right. him? And she told them that she dated Richard Smith for a number of years prior to her diagnosis. Oh, they were skeptical, but they agreed to look into her allegations, but she claimed that Richard had injected her with the virus. Okay. This was hard for everyone to believe. And that was for a number of reasons. Why? Would somebody do that? Even right. if he was her lover, why would he inject her with the HIV virus? And is that even possible? Were some questions that they were having to consider mm -hmm. about this. Richard Smith was a very well-known gastroenterologist. And for those of you who don't know what that is, it's a person who treats and diagnoses disorders of the stomach and intestines. Mm -hmm. Digestive tract he was, stuff. Yes. He was very well-known, renowned in his field. His patients spoke very highly of him, and he was just very respected in the community as a whole. Everyone, patients, neighbors, people in the hospital, co-workers spoke very highly of him. So how, you know, for him to have done something like this would have to contradict everything that everybody possibly knew about this guy. But as I mentioned, 
she had been seeing Dr. Schmidt, Janice had been. He was about 15 years older than her. When, at the time of her diagnosis, she was 33, and he was like 48, I believe. Hmm. They had originally met in 1982 at the Lafayette Medical Center when she had just graduated from nursing school and she was being trained and he was an employee at the hospital. They worked at the hospital together, felt sort of an instant connection, and this eventually turned into a romantic relationship. Mm -hmm. But at the time, she was married with one child and he was married with three kids. And supposedly mm -hmm. they were not happily married, though, if they were having affairs with one another. Right. And they kind of kept things undercover for that time period because, again, they both had families. Right. And the relationship progressed to the point where they started to make plans together. And I believe that there was an assumption on the part of Janice that she would leave her husband and he would leave his wife and they would be together. Mm-hmm. As happens sometimes in clandestine relationships such as these. Yeah. But Richard never left his wife. She I got feel divorced. Like that's what happens more commonly. Yeah. Exactly. She got yeah. divorced and was like, I want to make this happen. And he stayed with his wife. Mm -hmm. This was a sore spot between the two of them because, yeah. you know, she'd gone through all this to be with him and he was refusing to do the same for her. But despite the disagreement over that particular issue, the two continued to date until 1991. Janice got pregnant with Richard's child. They had a son named Jeffrey. Oh, Richard okay. was paying child support and she still kept him as her primary physician during this whole time and was continuing to pressure him to leave his wife, but he would not. Janice claims that she tried to end the relationship on multiple occasions only to be threatened by Richard. He threatened to ruin any future relationships that she had. He, he threatened to post provocative pictures in her workplace. He threatened to tell her nursing school that she had cheated on her examinations and her coursework. And all the while, these two are still dating as he's threatening. She's still continuing to see him and she's trying to see other people. And there's just this whole kind of crazy dynamic. Richard even like went and followed her on dates that she went and threatened the men that she dated. Wow. Told them to leave her alone and just all kinds of really crazy things that you wouldn't think a physician with such a reputation in yeah. the community would be doing. And she's like convinced he's going to do something bad to her. But even after all of that, she still is with him and she, she gives him an ultimatum. Him. No, she can't. But she tells him, you got to leave your wife or we're done. Mm -hmm. He obviously would not do that. And so she ended the relationship and stopped using him as her personal doctor. Hmm. But this is where it gets kind of sketchy to me. Because throughout all of this drama and this entire relationship that they've been having, he's giving her B12 shots for lethargy and chronic tiredness or chronic fatigue, right? Oh, no. Right. Yeah, I think you can see where this is going. On August 4th, late at night, while she was asleep between 10 and 11 p.m., Janice gets a phone call from Richard saying he's coming over to give her a shot, which to me... What? It's 10 or 11 o'clock at night. Why are you coming over to give me a, yeah. a B12 shot right now? B12 shots are not she, emergent. No. 
And it's like, you know, it's the middle of the night and she's not really in good terms with him right now because they just broke up. Like, why? And I feel like she maybe was just groggy and, and not thinking clearly because he right. woke her in the middle of a deep sleep. But she leaves her door unlocked and he comes over with a syringe. She claims that the injection was very, very painful and that he did not stay. He seemed super jumpy. He bailed right after the shot. He was nervous, rushed, etc. And usually after he gave her the B12 shots, he would kind of sit around and talk and they would have some you know, socialization or whatnot. Mm-hmm. But he didn't do that this time. And she was sure that this shot was somehow contaminated with HIV. Oh, no. Yeah. But how do you prove something like that? The police can't just say, okay, right, we're good. You accuse him, you have HIV, he gave you a shot, problem solved, case done. Case closed. The only thing I can think of is, like, find the syringe, like that one case we talked about where they, like, just happened to find it in the trash can. Yeah, yeah. With the heroin. So they're searching everywhere. They're like, we need to, like, yeah, yeah. We need to figure out what happened here. Right. But I think there was some pushback because I, I don't believe authorities believed her. Right. I think that they thought she was just trying to embarrass him or discredit him, get revenge on him, maybe, mm-hmm. because he wouldn't leave his wife. And they also thought that she maybe wanted money from him because he was a, a prestigious doctor. Mm-hmm. So he's got to have some cash. Um, fortunately, though, Janice donated blood a few months earlier. And that particular donation had no traces of HIV. So they knew that the infection had to have been a recent thing. So they're right. narrowing okay. in the time frame under which this happened. But could they show that the injection actually had HIV in it? Okay, that's what mm-hmm. they got to show as well. And they start looking into the doctor's phone records and see that he called her at 10.26 p.m. on August 4th. Okay. So there's evidence starting to line up here a little bit. Mm-hmm. HIV blood samples, though, as you and I probably both know, are not easy to get. You can't just mm-hmm. walk into a clinic and be like, hey, yo, give me a couple samples of HIV. Let's do right. this. Right. You don't order it like it's... you order OPAS. Yeah. Yeah. So unless you know somebody with HIV personally and you can go, like, take a blood sample from them, you, it's not something you can get. Any, even as a doctor, it's right. very challenging. And not only that, but the HIV virus is actually pretty delicate. It won't survive outside of the body for longer than 12 hours before it becomes oh, really? imp- impotent. Yeah. It, hmm. It's done after that, which is weird. Mm-hmm. I didn't know that. I mean, I, I heard know. kind of rumors about that because I remember when I was in college back in the 90s, there was a huge threat and fear that you could get AIDS by sitting down in a toilet seat. And we all knew, yeah. you know, that was stupid. That wasn't mm-hmm. true. But then there was the whole, they said that it couldn't live outside the body for a certain amount of time. So that kind of registered in my memory of being mm-hmm. afraid of that back in the 90s but it is very delicate as a disease and it is something that is not necessarily all that easy to transmit so dr schmidt also practices extremely meticulous and extensive notes with respect to his patients and blood draw at his office okay every single blood sample taken from his patients there is a sample taken and there's a sticker next to it for tracking to the lab and like he keeps the names and the dates and the times and everything very meticulous in these notebooks and police start looking into the office records for august 4th 1994 and lo and behold that book of notes is missing i was gonna say it feels like maybe he didn't take notes on that day yeah Um, but police do find the explicit pictures in Richard's desk that Janice had mentioned he had threatened her with. Mm -hmm. 
So like her, her story is starting to be corroborated on Mm -hmm. numerous different levels. And at the last minute though, they see an extra storage room in the back of the office and in a box marked 1982, they find a notebook with pages detailing August 4th, 1994. So he didn't even bother to destroy them. No. He took the, the records out of the area where they normally would be and put them in a random box in the bottom of this big stack of things back in a storeroom. And he, he obviously had some reason that he wanted to keep mm-hmm. that information, right? Yeah. And all the patients who gave blood had stickers next to their name with tracking numbers, but one of them was missing. And this was a patient who went by the name of Don McClellan. And next to his particular notation, there was a little note that said Lavender Stopper for Dr. S next to the name. Okay. So police interview Don. He confirms that he does have AIDS and told them that Dr. Schmidt contacted him for a blood sample on that day and told him to come in. So lining up a little bit more. This is starting to, to pretty much fall into place, and police need to match the HIV strand with the one that Janice has. So they need to match up Janice and Dr. McClellan, or excuse me, they need to match up Janice and Don McClellan, if possible, to prove that there's a connection. But I didn't know this, they could do that. Is there a way to do this? Oh, exactly. Okay. That's the first thing that you thought. Uh, is there <laughs> yeah. a way to do that? Because they had never done that before. All right. So they start looking around and they find these genetic researchers at Baylor in Texas who are ready Mm -hmm. to help with this. They have a renowned human genome study going on at that particular uh, facility and they go to Baylor for help and say, can you do this? Is this something that's possible? Um, DNA strands from a virus are not similar to those of people. Viruses change and mutate upon entering the human body. So it's not something that was necessarily tracked extensively mm-hmm. back then. But scientists now want to test these and see if there are similarities that exist that can narrow down samples to have come from the same strand. Okay. Now, phylo- phylogenetic methods were used to assist with testing Because as the virus mutates in a person's body, scientists can use the mutations themselves to map out unique characteristics and compare the viruses in that way. Okay. So unlike a person's DNA where there's specific genetic markers that are Uh different, a virus mutates so many times when it goes into somebody's body that those actual mutations can stand out as markers rather than the genetic factors that would come from each strand of DNA. Right? Isn't that bizarre? Yeah. So they took 30 samples from patients all over Louisiana, 30 AIDS samples, mm-hmm. and they included Janice and Don McClellan in that sample and did not mark the names because they wanted mm-hmm. to see if they could distinguish and match any of those samples. Mm-hmm. 28 samples mutated all differently, all across the okay. spectrum, different mutations. Two samples had almost identical mutations and showed that they were closely related. And believe it or not, those two samples were Janice and Dawn. Wow. So essentially, this test showed them that there was a one in a million chance that it was somebody else besides those two. Right. So they had to have been from the same sample. And that the virus that Smith had used to infect Janet had been taken from Dawn. July 1996, Dr. Smith is charged with attempted second-degree murder... But this is not an open and shut case because, Mm -hmm. as I mentioned earlier, this had never been done before. Scientists hadn't taken and matched strands of a genetic mutation from a virus before Mm -hmm. and tried to use that in a court of law. 
And there are specific rules with respect to which science can be used as evidence in a court of law. And we talked about this in a couple of other cases where it has to be an established scientific method in order to be Mm -hmm. used in a court of law. And we use that, I believe, with the case of Chief the dog. Because they had never yeah. used yeah. the DNA of a, an animal in a court case before. And again, they would never used a, DNA, a virus DNA in a court of law to prove guilt or innocence. But right. what is sort of a sticking point here is that Janice also got diagnosed with hepatitis C. And the patient that Dr. Schmidt had taken blood from on August 4th, Don McClellan, had HIV but no hepatitis C. Okay. So what is going on here? They start looking at the medical records and combing through them again and find another patient with no lab sticker. She had had blood drawn two days prior to the Don McClellan blood draw. And she had hepatitis C. Yeah. So Dr. Richard Smith had used some of this blood as well to infect Janice with that lethal cocktail. So he had taken a little bit of the HIV blood and a little bit of the hepatitis C blood, mixed them up, injected them into Janice, saying that it was a B12 sample. And the thing is, HIV, as I mentioned just a few minutes prior, is very delicate and can only survive Mm -hmm. outside the body for about 12 hours. So he had to get that blood draw from the patient and go inject Janice with it as soon as possible Mm -hmm. so that that would still be potent. Hepatitis C is a little bit more long-lived. So he had drawn that sample two days prior, and it was still alive and fresh two days later. So that one wow. that was not as urgent, so he could take the sample from a few days prior, mix it with the HIV sample, and go rush over there, give her that injection, and call it a day. Wow. Which, like, who who has the brain to think of something like this, Right. Like, to, to have a kind of foresight to think, I'm going to go inject someone with a deadly virus. I want to have revenge. I'm angry. I Like, I don't understand. I just don't... Like, he's mad that right. she broke up with him? Like, what would be the purpose that you would want to do something like this to someone? To have them suffer Yeah, it does sound like... Way? It sounds like he was mad she broke up with him because then he also went and told the police that she was really promiscuous. Yeah. So, clearly, this so is a just very like vindictive person. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Very, very evil, vindictive type of a person. Dr. Schmidt had an alibi. He said that he had been at home with his wife and that the only time that he had not been with her was 20 minutes where she took a bath. But the police drive to Janice's house and back and clock it in at 17 minutes, even Uh, allowing time for the shot. Wow. So conceivably, Dr. Evil here could have gotten in his car while his wife got in the bathtub and been like, oh, I'm going to do this. Sped over yeah. to Janice's house, gave her the shot, sped back home and pretended like nothing happened. And that's why he was so jumpy and didn't stick around. Yep. Rushed, jumpy. Yeah. Um, hmm. But why had he kept the medical records too? Like, why would you not just... Right. I mean, this is a doctor. He's got to have some brains in his head. He's got to be somewhat intelligent. If he's smart enough to figure out how to do this, he why would he keep that book? But they basically suspected that he kept it as a trophy to show that he had gotten away with this. And he was like, oh, this is, you know, people that are psychopaths like that will often keep trophies. And he decided I'm going to keep a trophy. Yeah. Um, Richard Smith's case went to trial and he was 
<laughs> it's funny because this guy's a doctor, so he's got to be pretty smart to get to the point where he is and to be such a good doctor, but evidently he didn't realize that forensic testing would be capable of comparing the strands of HIV and matching I guess them. in 94, like, if you're not up on, like, that's not his area, so, like, if he wasn't reading, like, viro- virology um, research, then maybe he just didn't think it could be done. Probably not. But yeah. and the thing is, it had never been used and done before. So right. why would he suspect that it was capable of being done if it's not something right. that had ever been used before? It's relatively new. But um, October 23rd, 1998, he was convicted of attempted second-degree murder and sentenced to 50 years in prison. <laughs> it says that he was sentenced to 50 years hard labor, which I don't even know what that means. Uh, it's um, Louisiana and Mississippi both have what are called labor camps in the prison system. So like uh-huh. at Parchman in Mississippi, which is where there's the, the death penalty um, or the death chamber, the execution chamber is the right mm-hmm. term. Um, they also have a prison farm. So wow. you could be sentenced to, I mean, sentencing to hard labor is like a kind of an outdated thing, I think. But like they do, yeah. you do work on the prison farm. And well, Louisiana and so yeah, Louisiana and Mississippi are both have like notoriously awful prisons. Yeah, well, I know that State Louisiana prisons. in general has a follows a Napoleonic code type yeah. of law versus they're very they're one of the only states that is different from the other states as far as yeah. what their legal justice system is patterned around. It's very interesting, um, mm-hmm. but he was sentenced to fifty years hard labor. And Janet has since remarried and lives with two sons in the same home where she was infected all those years back. Wow. And this case was so important because it was the first time that phylogenic analysis was used to link AIDS samples. So it made forensic history. Mm-hmm. So essentially it was the first case in history where two HIV cases were linked using DNA testing in a criminal case, which had wow. never been done before. That's crazy. And this basically brought the, brought the new methodology into justice system to be used as a tool to investigate crimes. Very interesting. And mm-hmm. I looked for some updates on this one because I was curious as to whether Janice had passed away since then, because, you know, when you got a, an AIDS mm-hmm. diagnosis back then, you were pretty much going to die. Right. But there wasn't a whole lot out there with respect to her, um, except their last available news with the doctor was unrepentant and refused to admit any responsibility. He was denied parole in 2015. There was a three-person panel that heard testimony and unanimously denied his parole because he maintained his innocence. And it says that the victim and her family testified. So as of 2015, she was still alive, which is good. So hopefully she got some medical treatment and care and was, is doing very well now, or at least, you know, is surviving and and is able to, to be a, a, to defy the odds from back then. Mm -hmm. Richard is not eligible for release until 2023, so a couple years he could be free from this. Wow. He is 66 years old now. He was convicted in 1998, and he is currently at Hunt Correctional Center in St. Gabriel, Louisiana. Hmm. Okay. But I was going to say, I wonder if that was, like, the precedent for, you know, you hear about, like, these people that have gone to trial for intentionally in, or knowing knowingly infecting sexual partners with... Um, yes, uh, sexually transmitted diseases or HIV. I'm wondering if this is the precedent that they're using because the method was different, but that's basically what he did is he intentionally infected yeah. her. Yeah. So and it could be, I didn't see anything about that. Just, there was a ton of stuff on this case. There's a Wikipedia mm-hmm. article about him and there's a Wikipedia article about needle stick cases, like deliberate mm-hmm. needle stick cases with diseases. 
because mm-hmm. it was a relatively it was a big new urban thing legend. Then. It was yeah. a really big urban legend that, like, um, if like when you're getting for those of you that remember payphones, when you're getting like change out of the payphone thing, or like when you're getting change out of like the vending machine, uh-huh. like it was a really big urban legend that people would put needles in there. What? I never heard of it actually happening. I think it was just like something you know they said to like scare that's people crazy. but yeah it was it was a big <laughs> now that was it's a big like thing. starting to freak me out <laughs> well i mean how often do you go to a, i mean you can't find a payphone now but how often do you go to a vending machine and yeah. use actual and get well, change like i most of them take your phone now so yeah or a card and to the point that i mentioned earlier though many of these viruses and diseases are delicate people mm-hmm. think that and, yeah you know, they, they don't want to survive on something yeah. cold like a needle or porcelain or anything like that yeah. So, but I do they remember like a warm back body. in college, just being so terrified that I could catch AIDS at any moment from mm-hmm. sitting on a toilet well, seat from like brushing something. And in the nineties, everybody was like, that. I mean, we that was when we were all panicking about transmitting AIDS, and they were like, "You can yeah. get it from kissing." No, you can't get it from kissing, and like all. I mean, it was. We were very undereducated about um, AIDS, and you can blame Ronald and Nancy Reagan for that. Well, it isn't even just AIDS, it's a disease in general. Like, right. I don't think that we had a comprehensive understanding in any way, shape, or form on how things were spread. I mean, you have all sorts of sexually transmitted diseases and other diseases in general that we still had no concept of. Even right. look at the flu and the coronavirus today, like the flu virus. We didn't have any comprehensive understanding of how that was even spread. Well, the flu virus changes every single year. It mutates every year. So that's why that's kind of a difficult one to, to, but to get a hold AIDS of. AIDS is but a virus, too. It's, and we showed that it mutates from person to person. That's why it's so unique. Right. The characteristics are hard to match because it mutates. So I think anything that's a virus yeah. in a person's body can has the potential to mutate and change and have different impacts on different people. And I think that's right. what makes it particularly confusing for all of us to understand how things can be spread. And then, you know, there are some people that are resistant to it. And, and some people, you know, might easily catch it from a brushing of an open wound mm-hmm. or some people might catch it from this. And then there's other people that wouldn't catch it from that. Mm-hmm. So when you have so many different variations of it and interacting with a disease or a virus is different from person to person, it just makes things a little bit more fuzzy. Epidemiology and is, is really... It's a fascinating. So I I took like two hours or one one hour or something on epi- like with an epidemiology class um, while I'm getting my PhD, and it's fascinating. It's like a yeah. it's I mean it's a it's an intense but it's a fascinating topic for sure. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Okay, so I'm, I'm gonna cover off on a couple emails if that's okay with you. Let's do it. Okay. Um, this next one was one that we got a few weeks ago that I just thought was really nice. And it just kind of gave me the warm fuzzies. So someone named Cheryl wrote to us and said, my husband and I started listening to you on our bizarre ride home from Florida on April 1st. We were heading to Milwaukee, Wisconsin. Our lives had been interrupted by COVID-19. We were in Florida to celebrate my retirement as a special education teacher. Because of COVID-19, our friends and family could not join us, which sounds very sad. Mm -hmm. I'm not sure I'll ever get over the disappointment. I've always liked listening to your podcast since then, but I wasn't moved to comment review until now. This week, you were so point on by actually giving a story where law enforcement is so corrupt. Please stay with this topic. I just, I live just north of Kenosha, about 40 miles. It's time. Mm. I also enjoy hearing about how you are when you share. 
I wish you well, Cheryl. Wow, yeah. thank you, Cheryl. So that was about our Terrence Williams and Felipe Santos and the um, Starlight Tours episode, right? The Ride to Nowhere episode, the ride which came out a few episode. weeks ago, yeah. <laughs> which came out, I believe, the last second to last week of August, in case you want to go back and check out yeah. that episode. Wow. Congratulations on your amazing career. That's very impressive. And in special education. And retirement. It's, yeah, it's a very, it's a very um, special person that, that, that works with, with kids in general and then in special education is very, very um, impressive and I'm sure rewarding. So congratulations. Yeah. To have made it that far and gotten to the mm-hmm. point of retirement, though, and not being able to celebrate just seems so heartbreaking. I, <laughs> like, I, so I hope you still had a nice her. visit in Florida, though, with your husband, even though you couldn't have friends and family go with you. Yeah. So. And, you know, I'm hoping that, you know, once things clear up, maybe she can have another gathering and, yeah. and do a little belated celebration for her retirement. Yeah. That was so, very nice. Thank you, Cheryl. Um, another email here. Uh, big fan here. Though I haven't written into a podcast before. I've been interested in true crime since I was just a kid and always wanted to make a podcast. Any tips you guys have for a little fish who wants to create his own podcast? Yours truly, Al. Al. What what are our tips? tips. Um, Do your research. Yes. Um, Research, research, research. Most important thing, right? Um, Write a script. I think that was something we didn't do a very good job of early on. And then we started doing it and it just makes your story flow a lot better. I think when you write a script, um, get decent equipment and you don't necessarily have to go spend thousands of dollars to do that, but you know, get yourself a good solid mic for a couple hundred bucks. I know it's kind of sometimes painful to spend that kind of money on something that's not generating income, especially now during the time of COVID and how we're all kind of pinching pennies and tightening the belt, but having a good quality mic makes all the difference in the world as to the right. quality of your podcast, because I personally have gone and listened to probably hundreds of podcasts. And if the sound quality is poor, I won't listen. I'll turn yeah. it off after a minute or two and I won't go back to it. So, and, and there's it's a lot easy of to, sources. Sorry, go ahead. Sorry. I was going to say it's easy to go ahead and get a cheap mic thinking you're going to upgrade uh-huh. later and people will stick around and you can promise, you know, Hey, we upgraded and come back and listen. They won't. So you have that one shot to impress. And if you don't, then you won't get a second shot. Yeah. Um, And I was going to say, there's a lot of sources available online um, for like podcasting mics and reviews and things like that. So that you don't have to spend, you know, 500, 600 bucks um, to get a really good podcast. I mean, if you're not going to go into a studio, you don't need something like a studio level mic. Um, But, but there's a lot of good available resources out there when you're looking for stuff like that. Um, Yeah. Absolutely. And you don't have to spend the money to, besides the equipment, you don't have to spend money to put a podcast out. You have to have a platform. So Mm -hmm. I have one where I can produce as many podcasts as I want and it's a monthly fee, but there are free platforms out there. I believe Podbean is free. Mm -hmm. Um, I pay because I want to have more than one podcast, but there are free ones out there. There are ways you can do the whole thing, even submission to Apple and everywhere else for your podcast and social media and whatnot. You can do that completely for free. So you don't have to pay a bunch of money to to put a podcast out. Yeah. Other than that, good luck. Yeah. Good luck, Al. Um, Let's see here. Next one. This one says suggestions. I love your podcast and listen every week. I do notice lots of different noise, though, when you record. Not that I'm complaining, but have you two ever tried more noise control microphones? Concerned fan, Rosie. 
<laughs> um, speaking of which, yeah, uh, Darcy, you I, just I actually got a thing. just got um, like a microphone shield that goes around my mic that's supposed to like help filter out background noise, um, so I can actually sit in a chair. I was sitting in my closet on the floor, yeah. which probably did contribute <laughs> to a lot of noise because I would have to readjust because my feet yeah. would fall asleep. So now yeah. I can sit in a chair like an adult. Um, and record so hopefully that's going to help minimize some of that that background yeah. noise and sometimes things happen too. like yeah like we um like we knock a cord or something like that and sometimes that happens and we do try and cut out everything we can but um we're growing we're learning so thank and you <laughs> since i got my new mic it's very very sensitive so if i even yeah. touch the cord it pops so like i'm trying to figure out ways to minimize that as well and be cognizant of that because i tend right. to be so focused on my storytelling that i don't think about it so i'm working yeah. on that as well but we are uh, learning next oh absolutely um next says show suggestion more crimes from other places in the u.s please from anastasia okay we can do that yeah there's some uh, fascinating stuff from japan and australia oh other than the u.s yes yes oh i so, thought she i thought she was saying other places in the u.s and i was like i don't no, no, no. know how and we canada other, yeah canada yeah, has yeah, a yeah, ton yeah. of stuff and and i think this comment came through before we posted our episode on um ride to nowhere because mm-hmm. that okay. had some stuff in canada as well so yeah like we're okay. working yeah, on we it we're international just, stories we're very like up for that because there's yeah. like some crazy ones in other countries as well so um great suggestion And then one more says, Darcy and Sarah, you guys did some vintage, older, and more obscure tales around this time last year, and I really enjoyed them. Can you do a few more of those, please? Tammy. Mm. What were those? I don't remember those. Um, I think that might have been the time when you were taking a break for school, because you were in the middle of... Remember you were, what was it? You had some kind Uh, of big, huge thing, and it was like a do or die moment. I was in... um, gross anatomy and i was also um preparing to take comps yeah i think it was during comps time and you yeah. took like a a, a month long break and i did some episodes by myself i did the case of pearl Bryan, and okay. i did the case of there was like a family case i don't remember what it was called but it was a vintage case from like early 1900s and it was Ooh, super bizarre okay. it was the guy that killed his whole family um shot them all except for the oldest son and like and then went and killed himself. It was a familicide uh, oh, family annihilator. Where case. he like walked into the woods and killed himself. Yes. Um, so okay, that yeah, might yeah, be yeah. something we might want to consider redoing together because yeah. it's such a fascinating case. And then the Pearl okay. Bryan one is this young woman from a wealthy background who met a dentist or a guy in dental school and got pregnant. She had a relationship with him, got pregnant, and he didn't want to have to deal with the baby, or and he didn't want to marry her, so he killed her and cut her head oh, off God. and dropped her in a field because he didn't want her to be identified, so he just uh-huh. left her body in a field. And it just was a really, really crazy case. Jeez. They ended up finding him and hanging him and his partner in crime in the town wow. square or something like that. It was just a really wacky case, and they identified yeah, her. Yeah, we some old cases. They identified her through her shoes. It was a very oh. special, special, um, customized brand, and they found the label on the bottom of her shoes and identified her, backtracked and identified her oh. through her shoes. So it was a really cool case, and I I love the vintage cases because they didn't have the DNA fingerprinting, all those kinds of wacky things that we mm-hmm. use now to make the ease of solving crimes so much better. 
back right. then they didn't have all that. So a lot of it was luck and some of it was like sharp detective work. And I just, I find those cases really interesting as well. What mm-hmm. about you, Darcy? Yeah, I do. I actually have one in mind that is both older and international. Um, oh, so I might, I might write Stay that tuned. one up soon. Yeah. yeah. Uh, we also like, we did the Rosenbergs, which was mm-hmm. somewhat vintage. You know, if we're looking at, you know, World War, World War Two. Mm-hmm. I love those cases. We like talking about the social history. I like digging into what was going on at the time, how people mm-hmm. were acting, what they were eating, what they were doing. Because to me, that's very, very interesting as well. So I'm more than yeah. happy to dive into some of those older cases and, and get into the, the sharp details that are so crazy and so part of yeah, our show. Yeah, for sure. So anything else you want to add? I don't. Um, those are great suggestions. Thanks for writing in. Um, keep writing in. Well, will respond uh you respond to the emails um and then we you know every so often we read them out on the on the show and so i enjoy hearing them i know sarah enjoy joys reading them so thanks for writing in yeah no i get them through and i try to respond back within 24 hours when somebody sends us an email and then i just kind of collect them so that we'll have you know three or four to share on Mm -hmm. a show so if you send us an email and you don't hear a shout out on the show just wait because i like if i don't have a lot of them i'll i'll wait until we do have enough to kind of do as part of a show because i don't like to do them one at a time um, mm-hmm. Unless it's a super special one. I was tempted to do the one from Cheryl because I felt so bad that she got her retirement party canceled because of COVID-19. I know. So, but that's it. We're going to go ahead and wrap the podcast up. If you have any questions, comments, or suggestions like the friends that just wrote us, uh, please send us an email. We're at the BFD podcast at gmail.com. Social media, Dars. Yeah, we are at the BFD podcast on both Twitter and Instagram. So you can also reach out to us there. Yeah, I'm going to post some pictures um, for this episode. You can see what the doctor looks like. I don't believe there are any pictures of Janice Trehan okay, or Trahan yeah. um, online. Um, and I, she probably wanted to maintain some confidentiality because of the sure. nature of the case. Um, but I will be more than happy to post pictures of Richard Schmidt, <laughs> which is interesting that his name is Schmidt. <laughs> mm-hmm. Rhymes with a certain other word that I can think of that describes him pretty accurately. Mm-hmm. But he will be getting out of prison soon, so <laughs> he'll be floating around there doing God yeah. knows what. But um, until then, please join us next week when we talk more about weird, wacky, and wild cases. Good night, podcast peeps. Stay healthy, keep it real, and always live your very best life. Bye. Bye, guys. Bye.